Uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your patience with us, learning your ways and our pursuits and curiosities and errors in judgment. We'd ask that you would straighten our minds out. Help us be submissive to that which we learn of you. In your son's name, amen. <clears throat> I was standing in the front stoop of the church this last weekend, having gone through, well, what did we go through? Ezekiel 34, and, and Al comes out, grabs me by the lapels, headbutts me, and says, uh, Yes, we know what we got to get to. How do we get there? Something along those lines. Or that people needed to know. So I wanted to... As I, as I talk about certain things, and, and you might find me repeating myself or... or um, going on too much about certain aspects of what we consider to be the holy Christian life, or how to go toward it, or what's important about it. So forgive me, I, my head's still sore from, from the reprimand. Isaiah 29, here at the top, verse 13, the passage you know. It's quoted in the New Testament. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, And their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote. Now one of the basic problems we struggle with is those of us who are religiously Christians is there is a huge temptation. It is not people standing down by John's Alley with a bottle of vodka, waving it in our face as we walk by saying, hey, let's get drunk. And let's just say it's a hot girl with short skirt with a bottle of vodka. It's not that kind of temptation. It's up here at the church. Because when you walk in to the church and you say, you know, I really think All Souls Christian is a real church. as has a steeple. And uh, people are nice. And they sing hymns lustily. This is the big temptation. This is the big... Those who, you know, don't give God the time of day, don't care about anything above... Well, they, they will get their reward, but we are dealing not only in the church, but in ourselves, fighting off this temptation as we step forward into the church. As you walk down the aisle, you're making choices about who you are becoming as a Christian. Because there are people who had the word of God from Sinai that had, by this point in Isaiah's day, um, you're looking at well, almost a thousand years, not quite a thousand, maybe 800 years, of the people of God being followed through their kings and their judges and the and the conquest, all the things that God had done, he had done for them, and he had set up their religion. They had a tabernacle, and then they had a temple, in which, on the mercy seat, in the Holy of Holies, the actual presence of God dwelt. Or you could actually say, it was the house of God. 
These people drew near with their mouth and honored him with their lips, and their hearts were far from him. And their fear of God had become a, a commandment of men learned by rote. When we, there's basically three categories, if you want to think of that for the, the benefit of the sermon. There are bad people, there are religious and bad people, and there are religious and good people. There's, you, you, you solve the problem of your badness by becoming religious. You probably know some people, maybe your own families uh, or uh, people you've known where the, you knew that the religion wasn't actual, but they really were sincere about being involved. They really wanted to be involved. and I mean, people will not just be involved, they'll write checks. They will drive around to Christian activities like, like uh, it was a duty that they were finding and, 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 and uh, observing. Their fear of God is a commandment of men learned by rote. So religion offers itself as an answer to the problem of the world. You know, people being immoral, people being bad, chaos, calamity in the society. Let's get ourselves a religion. Let's get ourselves, a, you know, a decent religion. Have you noticed in Christian circles, there doesn't seem to be much distinction between things that are absolutely apostate, that are religious, and have some gloss of Christianity on it. We don't mind working with them. Most of you understand that the LDS church is not a Christian church. But it talks about Jesus and it talks about morals. And so when we are against abortion or against whatever you want to be against, it's easy to view ourselves as part of the same religious answer to the irreligion of the world. But that's just falling to another temptation. They were falling to an idea of a religion. And those, and it's not just because they're, uh, you might say, heretics. It's not just because they're unorthodox. These guys were orthodox that Isaiah is writing to. The passage that I ran across, actually, I pulled that Isaiah 29 passage because it was thematically in the same thread as Isaiah 1. You have to stop and say, what is God's answer to religion? What's because we've already decided we're going to be in either the religious and insincere camp, the religious and failing, or true religion. Hear the word of the Lord. This is Isaiah 1. You rulers of Sodom. That does not start out well. Sodom was destroyed quite a time before this. In the days of Abraham, right? Abraham and Lot. Which you will learn about in the summer Bible study if you attend Actually, we skipped that chapter. Um, but back then, in the mid-1800s BC, this is uh, the time of Isaiah, the time of Hezekiah, so you're dealing with seven, late 700s. So, what's that? 12? Do the math. It's a long time. Sodom has been gone. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So you know that if he is bringing up Sodom and Gomorrah, he's doing it as an image, right? You're supposed to pick up, oh, hey, he's talking about us. What? He's talking about you. He's talking about 
the people of Israel. Give ear to the teaching of our God. I like that phrase. I made it in bold because the first phrase, hear the word of the Lord, you could let that one slide by. You could just say, oh, hear the word of the Lord. I was in a, I'm not a very liturgical person, as you can tell. Um, and in some churches where they have the scripture reading, um, um, and then the guy ends the scripture reading and he says, Thus endeth the reading of whatever, the scriptures, the word of God, something. Uh, and then the congregation says something responsibly. I'm not used to that. I, it's fine to do, but sometimes hear the word of the Lord. It's just a, it's a, it's religious talk. But then when he restates it, give ear to the teaching of our God. Listen to what God is trying to teach you. Because religion is a problem for which God has the answer. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of he goats. But I thought he said that's what he wanted. Remember, this is a completely orthodox. This is, you know how Christians could fight over how things are done in the in the service, like what kind of scripture reading, or what you say at the end of it, or, or who walks down the aisle at what point, or you know, we could get into fights about worship. These guys, there's nothing actually wrong with what they're doing. I mean, action-wise. They had a multitude of sacrifices. And the Lord's going, I just don't know about you. I do not delight when you come to appear before me, who requires of you this endless trampling of my courts? I added that endless because it came from another verse. This endless trampling of my courts. Some people, maybe even here, some people think that going to church is kind of a religious act. God's looking at us and oh, who requires this of you? This is doing all the right moves, showing up to the right place. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. And then he says, new moon and Sabbath and the calling of assemblies. Get me, God is saying, don't get me started on anything he had commanded. He had, all the way through the Old Testament law, you'll see festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths listed as a set of categories which are enjoined, encouraged, commanded. And God's going, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Because religion, when it isn't done right, will be done with a unction that just makes God want to vomit, and the righteous ought to want to vomit. I can't endure it. I can't stand the stink. Because iniquity in solemn assembly, you can't make something seem religious enough to fix iniquity. This is the problem. When he gets to iniquity and solemn assembly, he's letting you know that the only thing that goes right with religion is holiness. 
righteousness. That's what God is trying to do. That's what Christ came to answer. Trying to provide a you a path to holiness so that your religion would not be just as sinful as wallowing in your lust down at John's Alley. God hates this stuff. Well, you have to say, well, what are we doing about this? Because when you're looking for answers, as I was encouraged to do by Al, um, when you're looking for answers to offer people, how do you go about it? You, you want to know, why am I doing, why would I be doing that other thing anyway? What's the gain? What's the upside of all this religious activity? If you are not having your religion in submission to the living God, it is there for a reason. Not just, oh my gosh, I got fooled. It's there for a reason. Your religion then becomes an extension of wills that are not God's. Yours, some power-mad pastor, whatever it is, a will is being extended, and it's not God's will. But the religion of God in Christ is supposed to be the extension of God's will in you. That's what you're supposed to be growing in. That's what you're supposed to be bowing the knee before. And that's why we always get disappointed by the level of immorality we encounter in sometimes vibrant, accurate churches we like. Just when, just when you think you're, you're sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop in all your theological enemies' camps, but tragically it'll happen in yours. Tragically, it'll happen exactly in the place where they're being as, as, as biblical in their church design, as biblical in their measuring out of what we do religiously. Because when it is iniquity in solemn assembly, it's a perfect home for more iniquity. Because your religion is just your extension of your will. That's why those you know, churches, when they start getting designed by people, remember that first passage in Isaiah 29? Their, their commandment, the commandment of men learned by rote. We create our Christian religious operations as part of this desire to extend our own will and starts to look like us. And watch out that your religion that you are living doesn't wonderfully vindicate the way you like to be. All of us face that. I'm... What am I? I Woody the Pooh. You know, fat, dumb, and lazy. And that's how I would like life to be treating me. Where I just don't have to do anything. And it's amazing how when Solomon spoke of futility in Ecclesiastes, my heart leapt within me. Of course it is, I said to Solomon. Solomon and I, we're like this. Because I'm a fat, dumb, and lazy. Futility works for me. You gotta watch out that you don't grab hold of religious concepts that are just you extending you. It makes it a very comfortable religious experience. We find ourselves sometimes doing it, not in our, you know, I get to be as a pastor or a teacher, I get to, I get to say things and arrange stuff in other people's minds. What if I'm wrong and it's just Evan that is being handed out? 
You might say, well, I'm not right. No, you get to choose a church. That's what people do. You know, all the same kind of people choose to be at a charismatic church. All the same kind of people end up being in a reformed church. It's, it's their temperaments. We pick them because they are naturally extensions of ourselves. We are not serving the living God. We're serving us. And we're doing with Jesus' name all over it. It's not that we're actually doing anything really awful in the moment, but our religion might not be something that is pleasing to God. Because if we don't find ourselves always growing both in the grace and knowledge of him and in the holiness he expects of us, we're probably designing a religion that's there to hide our iniquity and grow our iniquity. Remember, all of these things were things God had commanded. He says, your new moons and appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. They think they will be heard for their many words. Oh, I pray a lot. A lot of people have prayed a lot. A lot of people have spent all their free time at the temple, all their free time at church, devoting every spare moment to the needs of the congregation of the saints. We like people who devote themselves to the needs of the congregation, but we also know that there are people who are trying to pay off their religious, the religion act. Because they don't know really what is required of them. We, since everybody is out there creating religion or involving themselves in religion that matches them or encourages them to be them even more, it's hard for us to imagine or see what real religion in Christ is about. So guys, says, well, this gets to the place where, what do we do? When you, uh, verse 16, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. So God says, okay, religion can be like this. You think you're answering all your problems. You're just getting involved in excesses of you, extensions of your will. And it's going to create a calamity in the near run. The answer is get clean. The answer is Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. We got stuff to do. We got righteousness to follow. And we don't do it by creating a ministry of plea for the widow ministries of All Souls Christian. We don't do it by Defending the Fatherless uh, Committee at All Souls Christian. We don't create more religion around this thing. The path to it is, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Now, I'm not going to go into whether or not that's a bit of self-righteous working for yourself. It's this Old Testament, and you should be thinking, I have got to get clean. Whatever act I can contribute to this process of getting clean, I will get clean. 
I have to remove the evil of my doings before his eyes. My, my evil stands before God, no matter how religious I get, as a stench that he wants out of you. There is a threat There's a threat in this as well. There's the answer. Get clean. Remove the iniquity. Doesn't tell you how. Tells you what the results are supposed to be. You're supposed to be out there. Your life now doing good for people. Not acting Christian. Not being involved in Christian event. But doing good for people. Come now. You know this passage. Verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There's a hint there, in the Old, right there in the Old Testament, it says, get clean. Know this, that your sins, as bad as they are, they can be cleansed. So there's a, a, kind of a, a, an umbrella of mercy poured over, over the passage that says there's mercy here in Christ. There's mercy here in God. Even in antiquity, before the coming of our Lord, there was mercy available. But I like the phrase, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let's think about this, because really, you're in a confusing spot. You're in a confusing spot with a bunch of other people who share your religion, and a church that has got certain, as informal as all souls is, certain patterns of you know, behavior and expectation, and, and who knows what sort of slippery slope we're going down that's going to destroy your life in Christ. We, we, we're confused. I want you to think about these categories. <clears throat> because inside the religion category, the bad religion, the religion that is not being accepted by God in this passage. <coughs> Every right answer could be there. Every true answer, every... It seems like this was the fulfilling of all the commands that God had laid down for the worship of him. And God's holding his nose, and God is having to push down a gag reflex when he meets these people. So... Thinking about that category as it can exist. Has it ever been to you that you have acted religiously? Thinking that religion would trickle into your soul. What God wants would come into you if you did the thing performance-wise. You had the pretension. You decorated stuff the way it, it seemed like they wanted it to be decorated. Reason with God on this. Speak with him on the matter. When you are in prayer, if you haven't confessed your sins, you go to him to talk to him about it. Say, Lord, what do you want of me? Do you want me to be righteous? Or do you, do you want me to have all these Christian activities in, uh, in my life? God is promising that mercy is in his presence. If you don't get it taken care of, verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, 
Those are the uh, you know sort of key words that you we gloss over. You want to think this out with the Lord and say, I know what this category means. I know what that category means. I want to be in this category. I want to be willing, and I want to be obedient. You shall eat the good of the land. I think that's a generic promise. I don't know what that entails. McDonald's, um, Baskin Robbins. I don't know what you view as the good of the land is, but it seems generically positive. More to our concern, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We have to recognize that sometimes the path of religion leads to absolute calamity in people's lives. They get devoured. And they're some of the most religious people ever. And their church choice was something you would approve of. They listen to the right authors, read the right authors, listen to the right speakers, go to the right conferences, believe the right doctrines of the faith, and their lives crumble because it was just an extension of their will. It was just a design of religion, not the design of holiness. Because only righteousness fits in God's kingdom. Now, that, that was Isaiah 1 passage I was covering because it has this, look at this problem of being in a church where maybe a lot of religious things are said. And I apologize if my sermons have been you know, seemingly too religious or something. And you say, well, I, I, I want to be that, I want to be that, I want to be that, I want to be we, People need to know where to go. What are they really taking care of? Because performing like Christians or acting like the kind of worship all souls Christian gets engaged in, you finally realize, hey, these people are requesting hymns from the audience. It would be a great leap forward in my Christian walk if I requested a hymn. I mean, there are people, because they don't know what it's really about, think it's about this process of getting the hymns requested. Is that a sign? Well, they seem to let women request hymns. Too many. What is this? What is, how do you do this? Because we don't have a membership, you know that. And we, you can't get from me a brochure on the beliefs of All Souls Christian. You're lost. You're just trying to figure out your way. We want you to figure out reasoning together with God that his righteousness getting yourself clean that's the religious experience we want to be in the same room with people who have gotten clean before God in their conversion by the gospel and their walk in Christ by confession of sin and doing good that they just be good people in Christ now when Christ speaks to it. I, I started with Isaiah 29, went to Isaiah 1, and then I, I wanted to bring up Christ's quotation of Isaiah 29, because that helps us, whatever the Lord quotes an Old Testament passage, say, well, that's what he was talking about. Christ is our authority. So try to, try to get a better grip on how we dance, outmaneuver out this temptation. You know, you, you've got 
You've got to maneuver. Possibly you've talked to people about, you know, I really struggle with the sin of pride. How do I, you know, and so forth. Well, when you feel the pride coming on, or temper, or lust, or something like that, how do I, how do, I do this? And now the question is, today the question is, how do I go to church, Pastor, and, and not have God hate me for it? How do I get out of this building alive? without the living God pouring down his wrath on me. I need to know what's going on. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And uh, why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So there. Christ knows that religion is in a cre- a, a, well, it's not I don't know if this is a word accretive things accrete to it when um, like, a, like a rust on a piece of iron or or um, a coral reef or something like that things just keep getting added it's not always the same thing. We have almost been locked in 2,000 years of Christianity and much of what we believe and much of what we do was decided for us by people who weren't in charge of it, of making truth. Why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? I like to remind people, just for the sake of their souls, that... Christmas and Easter are not Christian holidays. Not because one is Saturnalia and the other is some Germanic fertility goddess. That does play into it. But because we weren't told to have Christian holidays by our Lord. You can have a Christian holiday if you'd like, but it's not a Christian holiday. It's a holiday. You decided to invent something. Don't make it part of Christianity. It's not part of Christianity. It doesn't ever tell you to remember the Lord's birth annually and give gifts. Very nice. Kids like it. No offense to kids. I'm not trying to cancel Christmas. But remember that we live very, very much in a Christian Western world. You might not have this trouble in Indonesia. You might not have this trouble in New Guinea. What are other countries that are not that Christian? Canada. You might not have this trouble in Canada. They had this trouble. Why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. He said, they you will find that as your religion gets designed, the accretion to your religion, say it starts out with good orthodox apostles creed sort of right there. Jesus died for our sins. He is God. He's raised from the dead. Ascended to be with the Father. You've got all that straight. But your, your denomination has been around for too long. And the accretions that have crept into it finally start arguing 
arguing with the things that you affirmed at the beginning. That you have to choose between the traditions and the word of God. Then he says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. This is why it's in the sermon this morning. When he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. That's one of the ways it happens. One of the ways it happens, we cover, you know, that, that, that you think being right in your actions religiously is what God requires. And it's just an extension of your will because you are not dealing with your iniquity. You have to deal with iniquity. If, it's, if your religion even as true and as right and following the schematic as is possible, you're still wrong because you didn't follow it for the reason God wanted it followed. He wants you done with iniquity. He wants you to be clean. But then there is also the time factor that most people think just makes you more in charge. The more longer your religious group lasted, the more in charge you are. That's why the Roman Catholics can, can slam dunk anybody else or the Greek Orthodox and they've been around for a long time. It, that doesn't make something more true. More right. Matter of fact, it's a real danger because the traditions get stronger that challenge Jesus Christ. Well did Isaiah prophesy. We have the tendency to let wiser, smarter, more scholarly men decide for us what it is we're about. If, have you ever realized how much Christianity is crafted by famous Christians? Not crafted by St. Paul or St. Peter or the Lord Jesus Christ, but by famous Christians. Now, I've read some famous Christians. I like some famous Christians. But you've got to have your guard up because the rabbis, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, just because C.S. Lewis, now that's, my, that's my weak link right there. I, I, I almost cross myself when I say his name. You know, that's just, I like the guy. Smart fella, Anglican. Wrong some of the times but smarter than me by a long shot. And I like it. How easy is it for people to think that man's so smart, he must be right, that the doctrines of men are now your things you teach. Not teach the word of God, not teach holiness. You've extended yourself in religion. It's just your will looking like Christianity. You got this doctrinal base that, that fills in the blanks that is the collection of teachers that you've allowed to create these precepts. Christ doesn't seem to like it. I don't know if you pick up that image. Christ doesn't seem to like it. That people have made this extension. You hypocrites. If you've made that shift where what God has said does not matter because your denomination or your background or your family said Christianity wasn't that because some famous teacher said so. 
or they don't teach that at your seminary, you've got this problem. And uh, I th thought of that passage in, in Romans, Romans 1, I have the reference here, Romans uh, 125, where he's talking about, you know, we're always thinking about, you know, pagans and atheists when we read Romans 1. Well, look what happened to them. Well, look what's happening to us. Remember, the pagans have got one level of problem. The Christian religion has another level of problem. We get given up, verse 24 of chapter 1 of Romans, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts into impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Bad things. That's kind of icky sin. Because icky sin involves, you know, bodies. But why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now we know what Paul's talking about. We're talking about pagans with idolatry. But this morning I, I was thinking of that passage because it's what's happening to us in the religion of Christ. We have just started ex designing it around something that looks like us. And that's why immorality shows up. It is not the religion of Christ. It's the religion of Evan that kind of looks like Jesus, or Jesus' name attached to various of Evan's principles and desires. And then I suddenly wonder, why am I in deep, dark sin all of a sudden? Because God gives you up to immorality if you don't honor him, his word, and don't put yourself as the design influence in your Christianity. Serving the creature rather than the creator. So, God's answer to this is to get clean, right? That was Isaiah 1. God's answer to this is get clean. Christ is bringing up the same subject 800 years later. And he wants you to get clean too. Very natural, right? We want to have cleanliness. And so people, as soon as that item drops into your thought processes, all the religious thinkers, all the traditions of men, all the precepts of your rabbis, they start telling you, yes, if you just give this sacrifice, you'll be clean. Or if you just say, as number our fathers, you will be clean. If you do this, that, and the other thing, you will be clean. If you don't eat that food, you will be clean. God knows that it's very easy for religion to play off of God's demand for cleanliness morally as a way of getting more religion out of people. He called to the people, to the, he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. This is an example of the situation. They were trying to suggest to you, well, you ought to stay clean, don't eat any bacon. Don't eat any non-kosher food. The Lord says, well, that, that's not how it works. Because we have to understand, if you're going to fix this, if you're not going to be some complete tool of religious priggishness, you have got to figure out where godliness, where religion comes from for the people who follow Christ. It does not come from you being a faithful attender to everything Pastor Evan says. Don't call me Pastor Evan. Someone called me vicar this morning. Daniel called me vicar on the way in. I approve of that. <laughs> vicar is not correct. 
ecclesiastically because a vicar has to be in a diocesan structure because they're vicarious for the bishop. I don't have a bishop, but I, I, I like vicar. So it'll drive the liturgical nuts. Oh, hi, vicar, which is great. Not Vicky, vicar. It's easy for us to grab hold of all the things that the righteous God expects of us and think that religion will provide it to us. I want you to stop and think, where does this have to begin? If you're going to solve the problem practically, if you're going to say, yes, I'm going to reason together with God, yes, I need to wash, I need to wash myself, I need to be holy. Don't you realize it's what comes out of you? Oh, not what goes in, not affected by what I eat, but what's come out of me. So just push it back a bit. And then the disciples came out to him and said, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Oh, heavens, horror. People who got it all wrong we're bothered that somebody is talking about a religion that is pure and undefiled, that comes from the holiness that God in Christ brought to your soul, your heart, that then fed out of you. Not religion that was trying to push morality into you, but a cleanliness of your standing with God in your heart. He answered, every plant which the Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Basically, tough beans. Let them alone. They are blind guides. Anytime the Bible tells you to leave something alone, I approve. It's great. I don't have to do anything about that. You know that, the, that, that meme of, uh, you know, somebody is wrong on the internet. I gotta go. You don't have to fix this. Jesus Christ, Son of God, living on earth, didn't feel the need to fix this. They're blind guides. Let them alone. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Great painting by Bruegel. Let it go. That's what blind people are about to do. But he didn't want his disciples to be blind. Ah, the phone. This can't be good. We'll end the call. My son. They probably thought church was over. Can't be preaching this long. I'm almost done. Don't worry. If a blind man leads a blind man, they'll both fall into a pit. But Peter said, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and so passes on? Well, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a man. You want to answer it? It's Davis. This doesn't happen in any other church. Let's see what I'll find. We'll find out later. What it's she misses the end of the sermon. Um, what verse were we on? Oh, verse 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a man. So we know that the cleaning has to happen there. I can't do anything external that will get to the heart. I've got to begin with the heart. 
For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So all the religious, all the religious advice about how to get clean, you've got to say, but, but does it make me, is this how Christ said to get clean? Some people say, yeah, if you do this, it'll make your heart clean. Does it? That's the question you ask. What makes your heart clean? You're required, back in Isaiah 1, to wash yourself, make yourself clean. You've got to walk into this situation and say, I'm here to get clean. Lord, let's reason together. I am expecting that though my sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I need to know what I need to do. This advice, that it comes from the heart, is either going to create a faking it, where people are trying to look like they're religiously involved with a heart religion, or a realization of it. You either realize it or don't. I recommend that you actually realize it. It's a merciful God that gives us this forgiveness. You've got to be about it, about you. Not about it, about us. We're not doing this together. We're doing this with each other, but not together. It's not a confession of sin that we can exercise as a congregation. There has to be real realization and confession in yourself. And they are not going to like it. The they, meaning all the people who are vested in creating religion for you. The reason I divided Isaiah 29 in half, it went, the quote part quoted by Christ up at the top of the page, then back into Isaiah 29 for the next verse. And I, this is the promise and the kind of an odd aspect of the promise. People are unclean in their religion. They draw near, but they don't honor God in their hearts. Therefore, verse 14 of Isaiah 29, Behold, I will again do marvelous things with this people. Wonderful and marvelous. That's what you're supposed to expect. It just, it just condemned what they were doing, and then Christ promised in Isaiah to do wonderful and marvelous things. Our Christ came 800 years later to bring that wonderful and marvelous thing to pass. But in that wonderful and marvelous thing, look what it says. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hid. The marvelous thing that Christ wants to do in you is to shake you free of the precepts that are so insistent to make a religion around you. Oh, you will have a religion. You will believe things. You will read some authors with great benefit to you. Hear pastors or teachers say you things that are very good. But you will have been shaken free of that path to God where somehow enough religion accreted to the outside of you will make you someone that doesn't hit the calamities um, that are promised to the disobedient. This is a marvelous thing. Real Christianity lived in you. It's by getting clean at your heart level through the mercies of God with you picking it up, not us picking it up. You picking it up and saying, Lord, I know where my knees are and I know 
who you are and I know what I need to confess. I know what sins I have. Confess your sins. It's a marvelous thing. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You've been so patient and so good with us. We'd ask that each person here would find their path to you. That the wonderful and marvelous thing in your son would be experienced in each here. And that they would bring it back Sunday to Sunday to share with each other. That our church would be uh, everything you want without anything built on it. To look like a church. We're grateful for the steeple, Lord, and the roof over our heads. But keep us from thinking about it. But thinking about your son and his righteousness in our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen.